Open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke 19. Luke 19. What makes you run? Tonight we want to look at several passages in the Bible that use this term run. What makes you run? Many of these passages will be very familiar to you. As we look at this very simple lesson. First of all, let's look at Luke 19. And see what the text says about Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, in verses 1 through 10. The Bible said he entered Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw him, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I will give... If I have defrauded... Excuse me. Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give him back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. There are a couple of indicators about Zacchaeus. That teaches here that we really don't know exactly what to expect as this story unfolds. First of all, the Bible tells us that he was a tax collector. Doesn't just say he's a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. We, we, we do not know of this position mentioned anywhere outside this verse. In the New Testament, he was a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors were not respected among the common people in that day and time. But generally, when we have seen them in the Gospel of Luke, they are mentioned positively. For example, in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, it was the tax collectors and sinners who were drawing near Jesus to listen to him. It was a tax collector in Luke 18, in verse 13, who said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There are a couple of other positive references to tax collectors. In Luke chapter uh, 5, verses 29 through 32, they were eating with Jesus. In Luke 7, 29 and 30, these are the people who listened to John and were baptized by him. It tells us Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. 
And generally, in the Gospel of Luke, when we are told that a certain individual is rich, he rejects the message of God. In Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, the ground of a certain rich man was very productive. And when his ground was very productive, he said, what shall I do? I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns. And I will say to my soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, your soul will be required of you tonight. The rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16. The rich man doesn't pay attention to poor Lazarus at his gate. And so, what are we to expect from Zacchaeus? Some of the signposts along the way say, he's going to listen. Some of them say, he's not going to listen. But you know how this story turns out. Zacchaeus does listen. But for our purposes tonight, in verse 4, the Bible says he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. Zacchaeus has heard about the kind of things that he does, the kind of things that he says. And he wants to get a look at this man. He runs ahead, climbs up in the tree, and Jesus stops when he comes to him. Zacchaeus, come down. For I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus hurries and comes down. The crowd begins to grumble. He's been the guest. He's going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus is repentant. Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone of anything, I pay him back four times the amount. Now... Zacchaeus, what made him run was a chance to see Jesus. To see Jesus. To learn from him. Let me give you a verse that's not on the slide. Turn to Mark 10 if you would. Mark 10. There are three different Greek terms that we're drawing from tonight. But they are all related. They're all cognate words. And in Mark 10, verse 17, as they were setting on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Zacchaeus ran to see Jesus. He ran ahead, climbed up in a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. The rich young ruler in Mark 10, in verse 17, the text tells us that he ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and asked what to do to inherit eternal life. Now, I know this story doesn't end as well as we would like. But at the same time, 
How many times have you experienced someone running to you and asking what they can do to be right with God? I hope I experience that someday. But if I have, I have forgotten it. He runs to Jesus. He asks the right person the right question. And Jesus in verse 21, after he gave him the answer and he says, All these I have kept from my youth up, Jesus felt a love for him. I know that's true between Jesus and every single person. But it must have been something special here for this to have been recorded. He turns away and does not follow Jesus. But he wants to know what to do to have eternal life and runs to ask that question. Now I hope your presence here tonight is indicative of the fact that you would run to see Jesus. That you would run to answer that, to have someone answer that question. What must you do to be right with God to have eternal life. But let's go to a second passage. In Acts chapter 8, the the word of God is being spread to the area of Samaria. The relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was not good as is portrayed sometimes in the Gospels. They say to Jesus in John 8 verse 48, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. A village would not receive Jesus because he had set his face to go to Jerusalem, a Samaritan village in Luke 9. But the gospel is going to break down those doors. When persecution arises because of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, when this persecution arises, the text tells us that Philip goes down to Samaria and begins preaching Christ to the people. But as he is preaching Christ to Samaritans and many men and women are being converted, ultimately we see something that made Philip run. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch... A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his house and reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And Philip answered and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth 
And beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The angel says, go on this road. The spirit says, go and join the chariot. And the unit ran to do it. Some ran to see Jesus. They ran to see Jesus. Here, Philip ran to tell about Jesus. Alan Malone has made many trips to Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia to preach the Word of God. A couple of those trips, Max was able to to go with him. But Alan has served the Lord bravely and boldly in those adventures. Indonesia is a nation that is made up of 17,000 islands. 17,000 islands. About 7,000 of those islands are uninhabited. But Alan told this story several years ago. And I asked him for the details. And he told me, I think you've got it about right, but I don't have all the miners now, so let me do my best to relate it. A brother in Indonesia by the name of Joseph preached and taught the gospel there, and he, he got a letter from another man on another island that said he wanted to hear about Jesus. This was no small trip for Joseph. First of all, for him to get there, he has to take a boat. He has to take a boat, a ship, and find a passage to this island. After he gets to this island, he takes a bus for over 100 miles that takes him as far as the bus will go. So he has taken a ship to the island. He takes a bus for over a hundred miles. But as the bus ends, there's still a good ways to go. And he has to take a 60 and 70 mile bike ride. And I mean pedal bike, not a motorized bike. To go and teach this one person. One person. Now I don't know how much of that is running. But that catches the spirit of this passage, doesn't it? It catches the spirit that he goes the extra mile. And when he gets there, this one person that had asked him to come teach him has brought with him over a hundred people. And that weekend, 
he ends up baptizing 60 or 70. Guy lasted three days, just a day. And those brethren then showed the same kind of enthusiasm and the same kind of zeal about evangelism. He said that he met many Christians who would tell him those kind of stories that had been inspired by those kinds of activities. We see people running to see Jesus. We see people running to tell about Jesus. But let's look at another passage. Look at Luke 15. The setting is all important. We alluded to it a moment ago when we said all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. But the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near and they were listening. But the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And the parables that Jesus is telling, the parables you are familiar with, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son are all to demonstrate God's joy at the repentance of one sinner. God's celebration when one sinner comes back to him. In verses 3 through 7, if a shepherd has 100 sheep and looted one, he doesn't leave the 99 behind and go look for that one that is lost. Or if a woman has 10 coins and she loses one of them, doesn't she search diligently for that one that is lost? In verse 11, a man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And now when he spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. 
So he got up and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. In this parable, the son, the younger son, asked the father for the share of the estate that falls to him. He begins to spend the money recklessly. And the Bible tells us that then when a famine comes in the country, he is in need. And he has nowhere to turn and no friends to whom to look. He, He maybe gives himself a job or gets himself a job by attaching himself to one of the citizens of that country to feed swine. And there as he is feeding these unclean animals and wanting to eat what they ate, he comes to himself. He says, my life is a mess. And he decides... He'll go back home to his father that he's insulted. His father for whom he has been ungrateful. He's going to go back home for his father to simply plead for a job as a servant. We have been asking, what makes you wrong? But the question here is a little different. What makes God run? When a prodigal son comes back home, when a tax collector or sinner repents, the father saw him a long way off. And ran to him and embraced him. There has never been anyone who has run to Jesus or run to tell about Jesus with equal enthusiasm to which God runs after his people who are coming back home. Philip Yancey tells the story of a young girl who grew up in Traverse City, Michigan. She said her parents were old-fashioned. They tended to overreact to her clothing choices. And often they grounded her, sometimes they grounded her, and she seethed to herself and she says... I hate you inside. And she planned in her mind many times running away. And and one night, in, in a fit of anger, she did it. She ran away. 
She determined she would go to Detroit. The only news that ever made the local paper about Detroit was killing and gangs and violence. And she thought, my parents won't look for me there. On her second day in Detroit, she saw a man who drove in a huge car and offered her a ride, bought her lunch, gave her a place to stay. He gave her some pills that made her feel better than she'd ever felt. And she sees how right she was. Her parents were keeping her from all that was fun and all that was exciting. She is now experiencing life. And that continued for a couple of months. Even for a year. She called that man who drove the car her boss. And because she was so young, some men paid top dollar to be with her. If she ever did think about home, she thought about how simple and boring the lives of those people were. After this went on for around a year, she started to experience signs of physical illness and weakness. She said it was amazing how quickly this boss turned me. And pretty soon, she found herself out on the streets with not a penny to her name. Sleeping on metal grates outside apartment stores. She said sleeping is kind of an overstatement. Because a teenage girl doesn't sleep on the streets in Detroit. You always have an eye open waiting for what's going to take place. And one night as she was lying there unable to sleep, just thinking of all her life... He came on her. What a mess she made of her life. And how foolish she'd been. And she just longed to go home. If her parents would ever have her again. She wept, she cried. The next day she gets the courage to call her parents home. The first two times there was no answer. She hadn't worked up enough courage to leave a note on the machine. She hangs up. And the third time she leaves a message. Mom, Dad... 
It was me. It's me. I'm going to be on a bus tomorrow night and I'm going to be home about midnight. And if you want me to come home, when the bus stops and I see you, I'll get off. But she said, if not, I'll just keep on riding the bus to California. As she was taking the seven-hour bus trip home, she started thinking about all the flaws in her plan. Maybe she's done it all wrong. Maybe her parents needed more preparation for her coming. Maybe they were away on a vacation. And she, she wondered about all that could go wrong. And maybe they didn't want to see her. After all she'd done. Those thoughts haunted her all seven hours. As they finally got to the city, Traverse City, the bus driver said, 15 minutes and we'll be leaving. And she thought to herself, 15 minutes. To make a decision about the rest of my life. She walked out. Not knowing what to expect. But as she walked into the bus station. There was a group of about 40 family members. Brothers. Sisters. A grandmother, a great-grandmother even. And all of them were wearing party hats. And they had a giant banner. Welcome home. Her dad steps forward, puts his arm around her. And she says, Dad, I've got to tell you. I've done wrong. I'm so sorry. And he said, Hush, God. We've got a party to attend. We've got a banquet waiting for you. What makes God run when one wayward child comes home? That makes God run. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God. How worthy you are of worship and praise. It is because you love us. It is because of your persistent love that never gives up on us. 
because you run to greet the prodigal who comes back home. We can with confidence run to see Jesus and run to tell his story. We can do it because we know who you are and we know how gracious and merciful you are. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you that you seek to save us from sin. You're seeking people to worship you. We pray, O oh Lord, that we might that we might run to tell others about you. And we pray that even this week, as we have opportunity to proclaim your name in handing out Bibles, that there might be people who are running to seek you. Because we know, O oh God, that you are seeking them. Hold us in your hand and bring us home to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Lord willing, afterward, we will still have... Uh, the younger people who want to be at our Mark class will still have that class. And the elders are going to organize um, stuffing um, the Bibles with handouts and correspondence courses. And it's difficult to organize something like that. And it's going to be probably a little bit of trial and error in everything we do this week. But uh, if you are interested in helping them, then please stay out here and volunteer for that. We are blessed to have a God who loves us so abundantly. He's so gracious to us. And if you are running to Him now in your heart asking, What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see people in the New Testament repenting of their sins and being baptized into Christ for remission of sins. And if that's where you are, if you run to know what must you do, this is, we want to help you. We want to run to help you because God will run to greet you. And we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.